Good morning, everybody. I hope you're off to a great beginning. I, I want to start by having you take a look at this magazine cover. This is Our State Magazine. Lydia and I get it. We enjoy the articles, the beautiful places. This one has a big feature on pie towns, seasonal pies, like pumpkin pie, sweet potato pie, pecan or pecan, doesn't matter how you say it, it's delicious, wonderful pie. Now I'll tell you what, just looking at these colorful renditions of these pies whets my appetite, sharpens my appetite. I bet you have a favorite dessert as well. I want you to take just like 10 seconds Turn to somebody close enough for you to speak to and tell them what is one of your favorite desserts. Go. Excellent. Excellent. All right. You don't have to give them the recipe. Don't give them the recipe. All right. Let me invite you to, to hit the pause button in your conversation. Some of you are planning lunch together, aren't you? Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? We have, we have our taste buds just oriented toward certain things. We have an appetite for them. And these appetites are God-given, and they are good. I, one of my favorites is banana pudding, along with pecan pie and lots of other things. But, you know, it's not a good thing if you don't have an appetite. We know that when infants are born, sometimes it's difficult for get them, to get them to start taking nourishment. And there's a phrase about failure to thrive. When there's just not much appetite, folks going through chemo sometimes lose their appetite. That's not a good thing. But conversely, the other extreme is an undisciplined appetite. And I confess that has been a challenge to me all my life. When it comes to things like banana pudding and several other things, the question for me is always, how much is enough? One scoop or two, maybe three. <laughs> how much is enough? When I don't manage my appetite well, it shapes my body in unhealthy ways like the 20 pounds I gained during the pandemic. Goes on a whole lot easier than it does coming off. Is there an amen in the house? Amen, yes, absolutely. Well, the appetites that we have mold and shape us. The appetites that God has given us are good and right to have, but when we do not manage them well, they begin to shape our character and our very soul in unhealthy ways. Jesus told a parable one day over in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21, that sets the stage for us. Listen to this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, 
I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. That's a hard parable, isn't it? I want you to notice a couple of things about the parable Jesus told. He did not put the man down for being a productive farmer. He did not say he was immoral or dishonest. He did not say it was not a good thing to produce a great crop from his land. What he did was, was criticize the man for having too narrow a focus. The problem comes with the farmer's perspective. Did you notice in that parable how many eyes there were? the I-centered statements. It's all about me and my vision for more and for mine. Now, to be truthful, I think the guy's plan in the parable is pretty good. He's got an abundant crop. What's he going to do? He's got to find a place to store it. It seems to make good economic sense. It seems to be prudent to me for him to do exactly what he's doing. It's a practical application. But Jesus says he's being foolish because his vision is only on the tangible moments and the near future. With sobering tone, he teaches his hearers and me that an eternal perspective is missing. This very night, your life will end. And whose will these things be? Life does have its limits. Life will come to a close. When I was a kid growing up, I used to like to play the game Monopoly. You know, Monopoly, you've got little tokens there and you move them around the board. And your goal is to buy up property and charge rent to anybody who lands on them. I know this guy who had an aunt who was a Monopoly fanatic. And he would play her when he was a kid growing up. She would beat him every time and just took great joy and pleasure in it. When he was 17 years old, he finally beat her. He caused her to go bankrupt. And he was doing a happy dance all over the place. He was just thrilled. And his aunt was not. And she looked at him and said, you know, you won the game. But now it all goes back in the box. It's true of the game of Monopoly. It's also true in the game of life. This guy had an appetite, this rich farmer. And Jesus says your appetite is unmanaged. It's unharnessed according to God's direction. You don't have an eternal perspective. You are not rich toward God, meaning you are not considering those eternal things. You're not considering that you are under the canopy of God's grace, God's leadership. And the loving Heavenly Father wants you to trust in 
the loving Heavenly Father's leadership of those appetites. The quest for more in mind shapes all of us in all the areas of our lives. In the scripture, there's this telling passage. It's a telling passage. It's a chilling passage for me. It's naming the various disciples. And when it comes to Judas, it says, and Judas, who became a traitor. Judas may have started out with an appetite for God. He may have started out with an appetite that God's will was being revealed in the Messiah Jesus. But his appetites for more and mine, my way, my vision, my goal, clouded his judgment. And over time, he made choices that led him to that disastrous consequence of betrayal of the one that he said he would pledge his life to follow. Friends, our choices, our appetites do form us in character. They inform us in attitude. They conform us in our behaviors. Another day, Jesus was teaching, and this is told to us over in Matthew chapter 19. He's teaching when a young man comes up, and he's semi-breathless, I can imagine. This is an earnest young man. You can see concern written over all of his face. The text tells us he is a well-resourced young man. In our modern-day vernacular, he might have been the equivalent of the founder of Facebook or Twitter or something like that. This guy is well-resourced. And he comes to Jesus with a burning question. What must I do? to inherit eternal life. Something has caused an upheaval in his life. Perhaps he has an uh, an appetite for God and he's, he's feeling something is amiss. With all of his resources, he's finding it less and less satisfying. He's confused about what the values are in this world and if he's staying on track. And out of his hunger, out of his hunger, out of his appetite to be a faithful follower, perhaps, he comes to Jesus or maybe he's just looking to make the best deal he can. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know the commandments. Yeah, yeah. And, and Jesus names them all. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Know that one. Yep, know that one. Yep, yep. I have been faithful to those my ever since I was a boy. What, that, that one about honoring father and mother. I never, I never missed one single curfew. Not one. I never spoke ill to my parents, never talked back. I have done this absolutely perfectly. And Jesus, out of his love for this young, wealthy man, challenges him. You think you've been faithful. You say you've been faithful. You believe you've been faithful. One thing you lack, go sell all you possess, give the money to the poor, then come and follow me. Talk about buckets of cold water. 
on him and us. Now, I want to quickly say that this is the only time Jesus gave this prescription to any person in his encounters. And I do not believe Jesus was calling this young man to poverty, nor is he calling us to poverty. What he is doing, recognizing there's plenty of poverty in the world back then and plenty in the world now, he is calling this young man to recognize and to acknowledge that he has an area of his life, an appetite in his life that is not yet trusted to the loving design and will of the Heavenly Father. And the text says, he turned away sorrowful because he had many possessions. His appetite for God was great, but his appetite for more and mine was greater still. It's an interesting story that comes out of the 15th century about Ivan the Great, the Tsar of Russia. He was known as the Great Consolidator. He was very good at conquest. He was out conquering lands and all of this kind of stuff. And apparently he was so busy he never found a suitable bride to produce an heir. And he's getting up in age. He's no longer a spring chicken. And those that are close to him, his advisors are thinking, you know, he needs to produce an heir. Something happens to him. It's not going to go well for the empire. And so they begin on a quest looking for a suitable, suitable bride for Ivan the Great. The king of Greece has a daughter, and that daughter agrees to marry Ivan the Great. Now, the king of Greece is delighted. This is strategic. This is going to serve the interest of his country. This is going to be an economic boon. It would be a great political alliance, but there is a problem. And the problem is the king is Greek Orthodox. And the Tsar of Russia is not. So the king of Greece says, if you want to marry my daughter, you need to become a member of the Greek Orthodox Church. Ivan the Great says, fine by me. That must have been some princess. And so a priest is dispatched to tutor Ivan the Great in all of the intricacies, all of the faith of the Greek Orthodox Church. So when Ivan the Great comes, having been tutored, he comes with 500 of his best troops, the elite guard. And these folks are so loyal to him that they say what's good enough for Ivan is good enough for us. We want to be baptized too. We just instruct us in the faith. We want to be baptized. And so each one is assigned a priest. All 500 of them. They are tutored in the faith. And they're getting ready for the baptism. When somebody, brave soul, when somebody points out that the Greek Orthodox Church is a church of peace. And no professional soldier who kills people can be a part of the Greek Orthodox Church. Talk about throwing a wrench. 
Hastily, negotiations are held, an agreement is hammered out, and the baptism proceeds. And the 500 soldiers wade out into the water with their personal priest who is going to immerse them, put them all the way under the water. And just as the priest takes hold of them to put them under the water, each soldier draws his sword and raises his arm high so that his body can be immersed, but the arm and the sword remain unbaptized and outside the authority of the church and the God it represents. It's kind of a humorous story looking back. But friends, sometimes when I'm doing one of those things that they do in AA, that fearless searching moral inventory. My friends in AA, I don't walk that journey of recovery, but I admire every person who does. When they're doing that, they discover their appetites. And they discover which ones are appropriately managed and which ones need to be brought in line. Sometimes I ask myself, are there any areas of my life, are there any appetites in my life that are not well managed, that I am holding above, away from the leadership and the authority of the God in whom I trust for my eternity? John Wesley said, the last of all things to be converted is the pocketbook. Appetites for more and mine. True confession. Several years ago, it must be 15 years ago now, I did a little something in my congregation that uh, they haven't gotten over yet. We were talking about the appropriate alignment of our resources under the God-given principles that God has taught us in the scriptures. And so I asked them, just kind of jokingly, uh, I want all of you to, to reach in and take out your wallet. And if you have a purse, just reach in there and pull out your wallet from your purse and just hold it for a minute and just look at it. If, if you want to pet it gently or stroke it lovingly, you, you can do that. And then I said... You know, the truth is, sometimes this stays out of reach to the one to whom we say we're trusting our lives and our eternity. And so I want to do an experiment. You can get away with a lot if you say it's an experiment. I, I want to do an experiment. I just want you as an act of trust and an act of faith to hand your wallet to somebody other than your spouse. Nervous laughter, nervous laughter, nervous laughter. And I saw them, boy, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Heart rates were going up, rapid breathing in the congregation. But a lot of them handed it over, but they didn't let it out of their sight. They were watching it right there. 
And then I said, and now we're going to have the ushers take up an offering, and I want you to make the most generous offering you've ever given with the wallet you have in your hand. (laughs) That's the part they haven't gotten over yet. (laughs) The truth is, friends, it's a challenge because of our appetite for more and for mine. And it needs... It needs to be managed. If I'm left to just my own devices, if I am not yielding my heart, my life, my will, my possessions, I can never be blessed the way Jesus says we can be blessed. My grandmother was a remarkable woman, barely broke five foot two. My grandfather and my grandmother, at best, would be described as people of modest means. Modest means my granddad worked on a dairy farm. My grandmother raised chickens, and she would sell eggs. When I was 10, they came down and built a little retirement home. My granddad was a jack-of-all-trade and a master of a lot of them. And so he built his little retirement home, and another year later, we built a house beside theirs. One Saturday afternoon, I came in my grandmother's house just in time to see her take out a colored neckerchief, as she called it, and it was obvious it had coins in it. She took it over to the kitchen table, she unbundled it, and she poured the coins out on the table, and she began to count. It was full of nickels, dimes, and quarters, nickels, dimes, and quarters, and she would take a quarter, and she'd go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and the tenth one she put over in the other corner. With the nickels, she went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, the tenth one over in the corner. I was kind of hoping that corner over there was for me. (laughs) But when she finished with her nickels, dimes, and quarters, she bundled up the piles of nine, tied the neckerchief, and put it back in the drawer. And then with another colored neckerchief, she tied up that tenth coin of coins. And that was going to be her offering. You know, some folks would have said she was being foolish. There's so much more you could have. At least you could have a few more things. And it wasn't that she didn't have appetite. She had appetite. She liked nice things. Some people would say, you're just being foolish. But my grandma Neely thought she was being faithful. You know, I believe we all strive to be good people. I truly hope that we'll have an appetite to be faithful people. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we come to you confessing that sometimes our appetites are greater than our love for you. And your goal is for us to have life in abundance as you create and craft it for us. And we pray that in these moments we might have a reckoning with you and perhaps, perhaps allow you a greater reign and rule to shape our appetites 
in more God-honoring ways. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Now, friends, I do want to call to your attention to two things. One is, next weekend, after this service, over in the dining hall, we will have display booths for the various ministries of our church. In addition, we will have display booths from our mission partners that we partner with throughout our community. It's going to be great. They'll have information about various ministries, about the various missions that we support. I urge you to exit that direction. Go into the dining hall. You do not have to sign up for anything. But please go by and get information. We want you to know the depth and breadth of what God is doing in and through Wesley Memorial. And that then will guide you as you fill out your response form that you can bring by the church office or bring to worship service or fill out online. November 7, November 7 is the day where we consecrate, dedicate, and celebrate our faith statement of how we will serve, how we will give, how we will be God's faithful people. Amen? Amen.